Amen. Merry Christmas. Good to see all of you this morning on our Christmas Eve day. And again, as Mike said, welcome to all of you who are joining us live stream from all over the world. We are glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, just a couple things. Uh, you know, we have an opportunity next Sunday on New Year's Eve to end the year in God's house. And I want to encourage all of you to be with us next Sunday. What better way to end the year of 2023 than in God's house? And then on January the 7th, the first Sunday of the new year, what a better way to start out the year than in God's house? The Bible teaches us that one of the ways God's people honors him is by being faithful to his house. So we're praying and hoping and encouraging one another that 2024 will be a year where we find God's people more faithful to his house than they've been up to this point. That's what we're going to call folks to in the coming year. But this morning, we are talking about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ and some things surrounding that. In fact, I want to encourage all of us today on Christmas 2023 to set apart Christ in our hearts this year. And not just on Christmas, but every day. To make him the priority. To make him preeminent. You see, I believe, and I think many of you here this morning and those of you who are watching may share this sentiment with me. I believe that Jesus Christ is the most special, significant, and unique person that's ever been on earth. Now, here's the issue with that in our day and age. We live in such an age of inclusivity run amok and political correctness run amok and not wanting anything or anyone to feel left out or to offend anyone that we've created a culture of sameness. Not saneness, sameness, where everything and everyone has to be the same, which what that has done is pretty much then sucked out of our culture anything or anyone special. Now nothing or no one is special because everyone and everything's got to be the same. That certainly has affected even the psyche of human beings who struggle to feel special in a world like this. And I am here to declare to us this morning that it is my belief that when you and I acknowledge and recognize the specialness and the significance and the uniqueness of Jesus, and then what Jesus has done for us, it actually will make us feel special as well. You see, even history, when I was growing up, everything was divided in history between B.C. and A.D. Jesus Christ and his arrival on earth was literally the dividing line of history when I went to school. B.C. was 
All of history before Christ and A.D., Anno Domini, means the year of our Lord or in the year of our Lord, was everything after Jesus came. Now, because we have become even more secular and we continue to push God out of our societies and out of our cultures, now children learn in school that it's no longer B.C. and A.D., it is B.C.E. and C.E. It is before the common era and the common era. But the idea is that Jesus Christ, at least for most of human history, was his arrival was so significant that that's how history was marked, by his birth. And I want to declare to you that Jesus Christ doesn't just divide history. Jesus Christ's coming is God invading history and the world never being the same ever again. What makes Jesus so unique, so special, so significant? We're going to explore that throughout our message today. And I want to begin in the Old Testament prophet of Micah. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Even the prophet's name Micah means who is like God. <laughs> and then he declares in chapter 7 verse 18, there is no one like you. No one. That's why we declare and God has revealed that he is holy, meaning he is wholly other than anyone or anything that he ever created in his universe as the uncreated God, the eternal God. Now, as we come to Micah 5, 2, I want us to look just for a little bit at the context here. That's so important. And how this prophecy that was given by God through the prophet Micah to his people, how it related to David because we're doing a series on Sunday mornings on David, how it related to the people at the time that the prophecy was given to, and how it relates to us, and how it begins to point out to us how special and unique and significant Jesus is. First of all, let's look at the context of when this prophecy was given. By this time, Israel had been a divided nation, it was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was named Israel. The southern kingdom was named Judah. And Israel had already gone into exile because they had forsaken their God. And their leaders, both political and spiritual, were corrupt and they were wicked and they led the people of God away from God. In order to turn their hearts back to him, God sent them into exile many years before. But now the same thing was happening with the southern kingdom of Judah. They also were forsaking their God. And their political and spiritual leaders were corrupt and they were wicked. And so God was going to use the nation of Assyria to be sort of his instrument to turn their hearts back to him. So when this prophecy was given, literally Judah was surrounded by the Assyrian army. And they were besieging Judah. And they were basically going to cut off their food supply and all of that 
and then invade. But again, remember, just like happens down through history, these nations that were once powerful nations were not necessarily conquered from outside. They were rotting from within and weakening from within, and therefore they became more vulnerable and susceptible to outside forces. Folks, the same thing is happening today to countries all around the world, including our own. That's what happens. That's why nations who at one time were dominant and superpowers no longer are. It's not necessarily because there was another nation that all of a sudden became stronger than them. It's because they started to grow weaker and weaker from within and became susceptible to outside forces. That's exactly what was happening to Judah. Why is that significant? Because God comes along through the prophet Micah, who is like God, and shares with his people actually a message of hope in their abysmal hopelessness and helplessness. I mean, they're getting ready to be thrown into exile to the nation of Assyria, who is now the world power. And yet God comes along and he gives them this prophecy. He says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, seemingly insignificant among all the towns in Judah, from you will come a king who will emerge who will rule over my people on my behalf, God says, whose comings and goings have been from eternity past. In the midst of their hopelessness, God sends a message of hope through the prophet Micah. That's what God does. God wants to give us hope that circumstances and the situations of life and even what's going on on earth are not going to last forever. Just as God invaded history many times, but especially through the arrival of Jesus, God is going to invade history again. And God wants his people especially to look to him in hope. We talked about that last week when we quoted Romans 15 verse 13 where Paul says to the Roman Christians, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you have hope today? Do you have confident expectation about what your future and what the future of this world holds because you believe in God? That's where God wants us all to be. But many people on earth and even those who claim to follow God have no hope. They're living hopelessly because they're putting all of their hopes in the world and the things of this world and that this life is all there is. And if that's true, then yeah, it's pretty hopeless. <laughs> but if you and I through faith are able to look beyond our present circumstances and even beyond this present world, you and I can have great hope because you and I know through the arrival of Christ and what he brought us that the best is yet to come. And God wanted his people to have that same message of hope through the prophet Micah, who is like God in the midst of their abysmal hopelessness. Let's look at this prophet, prophecy a little bit more specifically then. 
Notice he addresses this prophecy to the place of Messiah's birth. He says, but as for you, Bethlehem Ephrata, he's very specific about the little town that the Messiah is going to be born. By the way, Bethlehem, its name means house of bread. That's very appropriate because later on when Jesus did arrive and he was teaching and sharing with his followers, he came to a point where he stood up at a feast where there was bread and he said, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And those who were in attendance were like, well, tell us where we can find that bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. God is not only a God of hope. God is a God who claims that he will bring fulfillment and ultimate satisfaction to the human soul. Are you fulfilled and satisfied today? Or are you still trying to search and look for things in the world to bring that fulfillment and satisfaction into your life? Is there still that hole in your heart? Because Jesus is claiming that he is the answer to man's fulfillment and satisfaction in this life. That he not only can bring hope, but he can bring that fulfillment and satisfaction. And I want to get into this a little bit now, and then we'll continue, but I just want to point this out, again, reminding us of the uniqueness and the specialness and significance of Jesus. No other leader of any major world religion ever claimed to be able to bring total fulfillment to their followers. Muhammad never wrote about it. Confucius never wrote about it. The Gautama, the Buddha, never wrote about it. L. Ron Hubbard in Scientology never wrote about it. Joseph Smith, no, none of them. Ever claimed to be able to totally fulfill and satisfy a human soul. But Jesus did. Jesus did. He said, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry. He wasn't talking about physical. He was talking about spiritual. By the way, the word Ephrata, the, the sort of the region that Bethlehem is in, it means fruitful. That is also appropriate because later in Jesus' life, he says, I am the true vine. I am the vine. And the one who abides in me will bring forth much fruit because without me, you can't bring forth fruit and be fruitful. So even the place of Jesus' birth gives significance to him. And by the way, it also then ties us to David. Because remember the Christmas story where the angels come and announce the birth of Christ to the shepherds? Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The city of David, Bethlehem. It's also interesting to note that as Micah goes on in his prophecy from God, he says, you are seemingly insignificant. 
Because Bethlehem was this small little backwater town. All the kings who had been born in proud Jerusalem had failed and were humiliated. But this baby that was going to be born in Bethlehem Ephrata, he would succeed when others failed and he would bring victory and hope and triumph. But it would come out of a seemingly insignificant little town. Doesn't that remind us of David even? Because when we first started our series of David, David was least notable amongst his brothers. In fact, if you remember, when Samuel was sent to anoint the future king of Israel, Jesse, David's father, had traped out all his other brothers. David wasn't even called. David wasn't even noticed. He was obscure. He was insignificant. He was unnoticed. And as Samuel goes down through all of David's brothers, none of them are God's choice. Finally, Samuel looks at Jesse and goes, you got any other sons? And Jesse goes, well, yeah, I've got my youngest out there, but he's still guarding the sheep. Bring him here. You see, it is a reminder to us that God is prone to choose the obscure, the seemingly insignificant, the unnoticed, the common, the ordinary, to display his brightest flashes of glory. The Messiah wasn't going to be born in Rome or Alexandria or even Jerusalem, one of the great cities. No, God was going to come in a little town called Bethlehem because that's how God works. And God, through even the place of Messiah's birth, wants to remind us there are no insignificant places or people to God. There are no small people or places to God. Everything and everyone finds its significance in God. And so many today are struggling with significance because God is not a part of their life. And I am here to declare to you that if you bring God front and center and you begin to acknowledge him and realize how special and significant and unique he is, you'll start to feel more significant yourself. Because our significance and our identity and our value is all tied to our view of God. Notice he goes on to say, this baby is going to actually grow up and be a king. A king who will rule over God's people, Israel, on behalf of God the Father. But then he makes this amazing statement. He says, but this baby is unlike any other baby. This baby is the God-man because his comings and goings have been from eternity past. See, Jesus is El Olam, the everlasting God. He had no beginning He is the eternally existent one. That's what makes Jesus so unique, so special. There is no other one like Jesus, you see. And that's just one of the things the prophet Micah was trying to say to the people in his day 
and then even record and write down for us today as well. And that's why you and I should always not just be setting Christ apart in our hearts at Christmas time, but literally every day of our lives. Because there is no one like him. Now here's the deal. Let me say this at this point. Even if every human being never acknowledged how special Jesus is, that doesn't make him any less special. You and I do not add anything to God. By our acknowledging God, it blesses and benefits us, but it adds nothing to him. Every human being that God ever created and brought into this world, if they never acknowledged Jesus, he would still be the most special, most significant, most unique person in the universe. But you and I who have come to acknowledge him, we know the difference he makes also in our lives when we view him that way. Based on Micah 5, 2, Let me share this at this point. This prophecy was given 700 years before Jesus Christ's birth. And it is another reminder to us that there were so many prophecies about Christ's birth given hundreds and hundreds of years before his actual birth that came true exactly as God predicted. Who is like God? Who could have ever managed to say, I'm going to predict all these specific events around Jesus' birth, and they're all going to happen exactly as I tell you to, hundreds of years before they happen. Who else can do that? Who has the power to be able to bring that all about? Only God. Only God. How could God predict where Jesus was going to be born 700 years before he was and make it work? Oh, and by the way, that's not the only prophecy of where he was going to be born. There was also the prophecy that he would be born of a virgin. Oh, there was also the prophecy that once he was born, his birth was going to cause a lot of ruckus. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. That people were actually going to start killing babies because of the birth of Jesus. Oh, by the way, that came true. And then the Bible predicted that because of this antagonism against the birth of Jesus, that Jesus and his mom and his dad were going to have to move to Egypt for a while and stay there until the pressure sort of went off. And that's exactly what happened too. So there's all these specific prophecies surrounding the birth of Jesus that God gave through the prophets of the Old Testament hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene of history, and they all happened exactly as God said they would. In fact, I challenge any of you who are watching today or any of you who are here who don't believe that the Bible is the word of God, you find me a prophecy in the Bible that has not come true exactly as God said, and I'll Take it all away. And let's face it. Men and women have been trying to tear the Bible apart for thousands of years. You can't do it. Can't do it. There is no prophecy that God has given that has not come true exactly as he said it would. 
Well, that's another reason why Jesus is so significant and so special and so unique because of all the prophecies that have come true about his birth. But there's more. Jesus, the God-man, came as God wrapped in humanity, subjecting himself to all things human. Who's a God like that? Did Muhammad ever claim to be a God-man? No. Did Joseph Smith ever claim to be God-man? No. Did L. Ron Hubbard ever claim to be God-man? No. You go on and on. All the lead. Did any of them ever claim to be God? No, they didn't. Jesus did, as Mike said. Jesus claimed to be God. In fact, that's why he was crucified. And think about it. God was willing because of his great love for each of us to come to to express that love and to be our sacrifice for sin, to die on the cross in our place. He wrapped himself in humanity and subjected himself to things that he would have never had to as God because as God, he knows all things anyway. But he sort of went the extra 10,000 miles to say to us as human beings, you can never say about your God, I don't know what it's like to be human. Because God already would have known what it's like, but now God put himself in a human body and says, I know exactly what it's like to live on earth as a human being. And by the way, when we talk about Jesus Christ, the God-man, This gets a little tricky theologically, so we've got to be careful. Because I've heard Christians over the years say, well, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Well, that's impossible. You can't be 100% and 100%. But you also can't say Jesus is 50% God and 50% man because that would mean he's not fully God. So the best way to describe this incarnation is to say Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he is. Think about it. Jesus knew what it was like to be thirsty and hungry and tired and to suffer pain and to be rejected. And I mean, anything human. So, and why does the Bible say he did that? So that you and I would know we have a faithful and sympathetic high priest who knows exactly what it's like to live in a human body and be on earth. Who's like God? There is no one like him. He's special. He's unique. He, oh, let's go even further. Not only did he wrap himself in humanity, he came as a baby, placing himself as God into the hands of flawed and fragile human beings. I'm not dissing Mary and, and Joseph, but they're human. I mean... You and I know what it's like if we were to hand over our baby. We wouldn't just hand our baby over to anybody. It would have to be somebody that we totally trust. Well, how do you like to be God, perfect, who has this perfect plan and purpose for the universe, but it all flows through this baby? 
And now this baby is being placed into the hands of flawed and fragile human beings like Mary. Does that not tell you God is in control? Because if God wasn't in control of his universe, do you think he would place himself into the hands of messed up human beings who could mess up his plan and purpose? And I say that only to many of you who may be control freaks, who seek to control most of your life and the events surrounding your life that you can anyway, and you drive yourself crazy trying to do it. Instead of just trusting your life and every aspect of your life to God, who's got you and got this universe in his hands, because otherwise it wouldn't make any sense for God to come as a baby and place himself into the hands of flawed and fragile human beings who could mess it up. That's how sure God is of himself, that he's still sovereign, that he's still in control even as a baby. And then let's go back to something else that makes Jesus special. His birth caused such a ruckus, such an agitation and disruption in the physical and spiritual realm. Let me ask you, when you were born, were there people angry that you were born? Were there people after you trying to kill you as soon as you were born? I don't think so. They weren't after me trying to kill me when I was born. All the leaders of all these other religions that we say today, oh, all religions are of equal value, they're equally special, and they all find their way to God. No. No. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When all those other leaders of those world religions or faiths were born, were their births prophesied? Nope, not one of them. Not one of their births was prophesied. When they were born, were people out to try to kill them as babies when they were born? No. In fact, most of the world didn't even know they were born when they were born. But there were certainly a lot of disruption and agitation when Jesus was born, so much so that Herod said, all male babies under two years of age are to be slaughtered. Whose birth ever caused that kind of reaction? No one. As a baby? But Jesus' birth did. And see, that's another reason that sets Jesus apart as unique, as special, and as significant. And then... Let's just march ahead a few years to the end of his life. Death met its match in Jesus. If you and I were to go around the world to the tombs of all these other leaders of world religions and faith, 
and we were permitted to dig up their body, it'd still be there. But like the angels said to those that came to the tomb of Jesus, he is not here, he is risen. Because Jesus, his tomb is empty. Because there is no one like Jesus. Jesus is the most special, most significant, most unique person in history. And that's why God encourages all of mankind to set Christ apart in our hearts, to value him like no one else or nothing else, because there is no one or nothing like Jesus. His birth and the events surrounding his birth were unlike any birth that's there's ever been. His life was unlike any life that's ever been lived. His death, unlike any other death. There's never been a person alive on earth that died being killed, executed, not for their own crimes or sins, but for others. That was Jesus. See, for some of you, you may even not understand why Jesus even died or had to die. Well, the Bible is very clear that all human beings are sinners. We are born sinners. You don't have to teach children how to do bad. They do it on their own. We have to, as parents and grandparents and other, we have to teach our children how to do good. And the Bible tells us that our sin separates us then from a holy God. But even in his holiness, he loves us so much that as God, he was willing to wrap himself in humanity and come as a baby live a life of perfection on this earth as a human being, yet without sin, so that he could be our sacrifice and our substitute because a holy God needs to deal with sin in some way. Someone has to pay for sin. So God's great plan of salvation was, my son will provide the sacrifice. Which is why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus one day, say, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus Christ, therefore, went to die on that cross and shed his blood, not for his own crimes or sins, because he was perfect. He did it for us. And when you and I then begin to see how special he is, we begin to see how special and valuable we are in God's eyes that God would choose to do that for us so that we might have life eternal through him. And to sort of put the icing on the cake, as we say, Jesus said, 
I will confirm to you and bring assurance to you that I am unlike any other because I will die. But three days later, again, death is no match for Jesus. I will rise from the dead. So that through him conquering death, he could bring eternal life to all of us who place our faith in him. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if they die, they shall live. I hope you have that hope. I have that hope. I have that hope and confidence, not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm a good person. I have that hope because there was a time in my life where I said, Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner in need of a savior and you alone can save me. Please, Lord, come into my heart and save me today. Forgive me of my sin and take me to yourself. And the moment I sincerely said that, that's exactly what Jesus did. And he changed Jeff Royce's life forever, just as he's changed many of your lives forever. Because once a human being and their soul comes in contact and connection with Jesus Christ, we are never the same ever again. We are, as the Bible says, new creations. New creations. If you and I want to make Christmas special, the best way to make Christmas special is to have the Christ of Christmas in your heart. And not only have him there, but celebrate him. Value him above anyone and anything else. To set him apart in your heart. And when you and I begin to truly know how special and unique and significant Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, we won't just want to set him apart in our hearts at Christmas. We'll want to set him apart in our heart every single day. Because I am here to declare to you this morning that there is no one like Jesus. Though we live in a world where we are hearing that everyone and everything's the same, and that even amongst all the world religions and faiths, they're all equally valuable, and they all find their way to heaven and to God. That may be the message of the world. But the message of God through his word is there's only one way to eternal life and one way to heaven. And I am here to declare to all of us today, that's Jesus Christ. And if you doubt what I have shared with you today, I would encourage you to go and look at all the other leaders of those world religions and faiths. 
see if they ever claim to bring absolute fulfillment and satisfaction to their followers. See if they ever claim to be the God-man that Jesus did. See if they ever claim to be able to conquer death and rise from the dead. See if they ever claim to want to even give up their life for the sins of others as their substitute and sacrifice. See if their birth caused the ruckus that Jesus' birth caused. I think you will find that Jesus is set apart from everyone and all of them because there is no one like Jesus. So as we close our Christmas Eve service 2023, let's celebrate Jesus today. Let's set him apart in our hearts. As we sing this last song, let's light our candles because Jesus said, I am the light of the world and I bring my light into the world and God shares his light with us so that then we can shine the light of Christ to others. What better gift could we give to others than to make sure that Christ is shining through us. I'm gonna ask Nicole and our worship team to come now, and I'm gonna ask you to stand with me and join me as we close our message in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us today to celebrate your son, Jesus, to be reminded, God, that there is no one or nothing like him. He is the most special, the most significant, the most unique person who's ever existed. And God, for those of us who've acknowledged him in our life, may we continue to acknowledge him May we continue to value him. Make him the priority. Make him preeminent. For those who may have never encountered Jesus or connected their heart and their soul to him, God, I pray today would be the day that they would make that choice. Because, Lord, once we have Jesus in our hearts, Christmas even, and the celebration of Christmas is never the same again. There's a specialness even to Christmas and the Christmas season when we have Jesus at the very center of our celebration. So God, may we celebrate you and your coming, your arrival to this earth and all that you brought us, Lord. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.